we summon you, mighty monkey, to our nondescript jungle village to enjoy maiden's blood in a film that is more mockbuster than homage, more intellectual property theft than inspired by. That's right. This week we are diving into Kaiju versus History, The Mighty Gorga. Welcome back to the podcast, Hand Hunters and Circus Clowns. This is your gun-toting host, Miles. And joining me in a beautiful prehistoric forest is my companion, Patrick. Patrick, how are you faring, judging from the quality of the film this week? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I, I think I, I mentioned to you I went ahead and watched some other movies after this one. A little bit of a palate cleanser. Oh, I 100% did some palate cleansing. I, I got I got ahead in my Kaiju rewatch after this. I guess we should start with an apology to our listeners who <laughs> come here looking for our thoughts on... Um, I, I'm sorry, listen, for, for, forget about you guys. Uh, an apology to me should be made. <laughs> no, we watched the bad ones, so the good ones are more good by comparison. Yeah, I was about to say, Miles, you might... Might have to get off this podcast if if King Kong copycats are are a bother to you because the seventies has got a few of them. Yeah, I might have to. I might have to bring in a pinch hitter named Tyler for this um, <laughs> because I mean I I think viewers or viewers uh, listeners already know my my opinion of giant eight films. I don't really consider any of them kaiju films. I certainly don't consider King Kong one, even though he gets a seat at the table for being the influence and i'm okay with that he is the kaiju but and, and i i mean legendary's king kong is certainly a, a kaiju i don't consider all these kong knockoffs kaiju films they're just bad pulp fiction and i'm i'm not looking forward to more of of this but before we <laughs> descend into what what this is? Should we should hell. we say the name of the 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 movie? Talk about it a little bit for a right. little bit while. Nineteen sixty nine's David L. Hewitt directed film, The Mighty Gorga. And before we we just, I'm probably gonna spoil this. Probably gonna trash this movie quite a bit and deservedly so. Not just for its poor quality, but its compounded racism. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh the brown face. Oh my. Well, we'll 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 get to that because it's like not only is it racist, but it's like incorrectly racist. <laughs> yes. But before we get to that, please tell us what's in a title, if anything, for this movie. So yeah, the Mighty Gorga is a pretty standard title in and of itself. It does make me think of Gorgu Gorgo <laughs> from the what was a a British film Gorgo. But this is an American-made film, and as we said, it is kind of Kong knockoff-esque. And the German DVD box title was indeed called Kong Island when it came out, and it was reissued in the USA, obviously, because Gorga didn't have any play. They called it Attack of the Death Monsters. 
and no Frankenstein name for West Germany here. You see this, Miles. It's just Mighty Gorga. Well, um, it's probably because they're like, you know what? This doesn't even deserve the name Frankenstein. <laughs> or King Kong. Yeah, there's not. Uh, you'd think there'd be more people trying to capitalize off that, but maybe they didn't want to get sued or, or what have you. Yeah. Mighty Gorga is the name of the I, monster I in this movie. Imagining, so. uh, I can't imagine a lot of people, enough people seeing this movie to care. <laughs> this this movie has a reputation mostly for its poor effects and low budget, which sometimes can make certain yeah. types of genre films charming. This is an independently produced, funded film by by our, our director there, David L. Hewitt. And maybe you knew this watching it, Miles, but it is the director in the monkey suit. <laughs> he is also yes. the mighty Gorga. <laughs> <laughs> uh it just makes me I, I learned that while i was watching it and made watching the movie somewhat more enjoyable to imagine him like in in the suit yelling roll tape and then him just going Rawr. well so this this follows the kind of genre independent filmmaking which is something i i will traditionally have a lot of love and respect for throughout film history but there is this movement in the 60s especially in america where you have a handful of people who have frankly more money than than they know what to do with mm -hmm. or, or 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 that they responsibly know what to do with and so you'll have guys like harold p warren do the same thing who will write direct produce and star in a movie like manos the hands of fate Yes. And make these weird, no budget oddities of cinema. And, you know, if you're you're lucky, you will find yourself on Mr. Science Theater 2000, where Manos, honestly, that's where its its fame really comes from. I oh, know Quentin Tarantino has a weird love for this movie. He owns a 16 millimeter print of it, <laughs> uh, which is one of the very few actual prints of it. Oh, of the Mighty Gorga. No, of Manus Lands of Fate, oh, but in, in, a similar, in a similar fashion, mm -hmm. what we have here with the Mighty Gorga is a, a kind of a similar, we have a guy who's basically creating this movie and putting it through with sheer will and his own funds, which on one hand can be admirable, but when you have no real creative vision, yeah. how admirable is it? <laughs> Well, I mean, so we we talked about how this is a, a copy of King Kong in some respects, but I would say the majority of the story is lifted from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Lost World. And so, Mighty Joe Young, really. Yeah, I mean, some ways. They, there's a, there's a good chunk of Mighty Joe Young in here with, you know, I I would say, well. There's, there's not someone who's like on Gorga's side, you know, or. or Someone that kind of no, but son of uh, Kong, a bit of son of Kong instead of King Kong, I would say, because they literally take a plot point from son of Kong in them healing up a wound on on the finger of the great ape, you know, and I, I would say with, because you way. have, you know, April who's running her compound and, mm -hmm. you know, the, I don't know, I, I would I would almost say it has as much to do with elements of Mighty Joe Young and King Kong mixed together. There's um, the, but, there, but the, the prehistoric aspect to it does have that lost world sensibility. I can see that Go, going through and, and reading about it. And, and after watching the movie, I can't find any original aspect to the plot itself. 
at all. Uh, I mean, just which every in and of is... itself is not necessarily a bad thing. You don't have to be original to be good. But the well, problem with with this is this is all it's copycat and pantomime and thinking by doing that it's acceptable enough for the for the audience to go on with. Well, when, that's that's the thing. I think even if they hadn't seen those original films, the, yeah, like you said, the quality is not up to snuff on any of them, or they're not melded in any way to create something new. I mean, Star Wars is a mix of you know serials from the same age, you know, from the 30s mm-hmm. or so, and put together in kind of a new package. And this technically has a new package, but none of the elements are. <sighs> Had a whole made special package expired. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I I think the Lost World is cool. I like King Kong, but this doesn't this doesn't put enough of a spin to to make it I interesting. Mean, but we, uh, we we know eight movies are already a tall order for me to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you give me a a low budget eight movie that has no original thoughts, no real effort being made, I mean. Half these lines are being delivered through sheer force of will rather than acting. <laughs> they're they're being listened to with, <laughs> through force of will as as well. This is one of those movies you turn on and I mean, you're a superhero if you can make it through the 90 minutes or however long this this film is. 84 minutes. This movie is 84 minutes long it and feels, feels every single second of it. Yeah, it feels a little bit longer than that just because there's not like a. A rip roaring. No, it's it's, it's 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 such a weird expression because so even the way this movie opens, this movie opens with the most bizarre music and cold open that you could possibly have. Mm. And then we cut to, you know, this this failing zoo, which when you like you kind of what we see, it's like it's no wonder the zoo's failing <laughs> because it's it it's, looks like a public park gone wrong. Yeah, it's 1960s sad. It's very sad. All the animals look despondent and it's stock footage that they're using here. It's not like they <laughs> shot this for themselves, but he's they I, I kind of wish they had done that because maybe they could have gotten well, less sad footage. And like they try to tell you this story about oh, oh this is like a, a you know kind of a brotherhood or fa- familial kind of feeling that this this zoo has, but like from the clown to the ticket taker as if any of these jobs were going to be really sustainable for these people. <laughs> like uh, we- we and, we meet our main character there who who owns a zoo, right? Uh, Mark Remington, right? Which and great action hero name, Mark Remington, and it, he, he's indeed our Carl Denham character for this film, played by Anthony Isley. Unfortunately, not at all interesting. <laughs> no, no, no line reading of his in this film. No, no. I mean, he is, felt good. He, he is. I mean, just. You're atypical. I mean, not you're atypical, but you're a typical hero. But like everyone's built up like, oh, the success of this place is what our lives depend on. And well, on one hand, that's true because uh, I'm not trying to like downplay anyone's job. But like these guys make it sound like, oh, if I'm getting a bunch of t- selling a bunch of tickets, I'm getting a cut of this. When we know how these places work, these guys are not getting a cut of this money. <laughs> yeah. And so we yeah, we have we have Mark Remington. And who is constantly smoking throughout this movie? It, it is 1969. I, I know. And trust me, as, as a former smoker, I was just like, oh, man, that looks good. But <laughs> nothing I mean, in but this movie looks good. By 
It's the one thing in this movie that looked good. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> he, that cigarette. He hears about a, a giant gorilla, and they do mention King Kong in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they mention it's like, oh, it's like King Kong. <laughs> that self-referentialness is not a part of the film. It's just like an aspect. Maybe the audience hadn't put that together yet. It's like, oh, we're watching a King Kong-like movie. But goes to meet his contact in Africa and can't find him, but finds his daughter. You mentioned April, mm-hmm. April Adams. And that is she's played by uh, Megan Timothy, who might be like, I would say the only good part of this. Yeah, I, I think she is the the prop. The problem with Megan Timothy in this feature is that she is trying to act and she is actively acting. But when you have someone doing that, and no one else is either capable <laughs> or bothers to do it. It well, makes her look a little silly. There, there's and still some some bad direction given to her in some elements where it's like, oh, man, if they only had a, a, a very competent director. This is his third or fourth film, David Hewitt, I believe. He sold some other scripts before this, but uh, <laughs> I, I thought maybe she was putting on an accent at first, but I, I looked up. She was born in Africa. She is Rhodesian born and I was like where's Rhodesia that is now Zimbabwe but she Mm. indeed so her accent I believe is authentic so like it's the one (laughs) single bit of authenticity in in this this film not her first or last David L. Hewitt film that she would be in right right Um, (laughs) the girls from Thunderstrip is the film they've filmed together after this and that is a a classic exploitation exploitation, (laughs) yeah from the late uh, I guess they filmed in the late 60s but came out in 1970 it's about I mean honestly it sounds way more exciting than this movie it's about a trio of hillbilly girls who take on a biker gang over moonshine sign me up I mean, th- those are the MST3K movies that I, I always disliked. But um, also, its premiere was in my neck of the woods in Florence, South Carolina, which is about two hours away from me. That's an interesting place for it to premiere. I wonder if he, he's from there or knows someone. Hewitt, I don't think he was. I, I mean, uh, that, that's. <laughs> Says he was born in San Fran. His directing debut is a movie that I need to find out more about. Monsters Crash the Pajama Party. (laughs) I mean, Uh, that that it's a short film. It certainly sounds a lot more fun than what we're having today. And I know I keep I mean, I I think anyone who knows we're covering is already aware that we're basically going to be dunking on this movie a lot and and with good reason. That's the thing, though. It, this is not a troll, too. It's not so bad it's good, unfortunately. No. It, there are funny parts of how bad it is. At one point, I mean, obviously, we get a very similar scene of Gorga t- trying to eat a maiden sacrifice given to the monkey. There's a, which is hilarious in itself, a fight with a, like, a rubber T-Rex. Oh, it it's, all, it, it's, it's those weird little, like, kind of squeeze clampy toys it looks like a dog toy yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's i understand that some people can find that kind of stuff charming and i find a lot of low budget things extremely charming but that's not the case here like there there is something extremely soulless and hollow about this movie as well that like it being a ripoff is oh i'm looking to make a buck off of doing this thing and doing nothing else and and that's clear in the quality of the script like You'll have moments like where April's first first hand right hand man, George, 
talks about like the origin of where he might be find where so the whole story is that April's father's missing. Yeah. And she, she's looking for the father and he's looking for so the monkey. George talks about how he ran across an, a different tribe member in the jungle. And then he says it was in a language that no one understood. And then the next sentence proceeds to say, he told me this story. <laughs> and I'm wondering if he told you a story in a language you didn't understand, how are we communicating this story? <laughs> well, yeah, because unless it's after the father taught that one native a little bit of English, I think that doesn't make any sense. You are. There's correct. also the big bad of the film is a guy named Morgan who April's father owed money to at the beginning of this adventure. Remington pays Morgan off like he pays the father's debt yet mm-hmm. somehow this guy keeps popping back up about the money that her father owes him and that that was a an issue that was solved at the beginning of the movie to get him out of the scene and apparently the men in black showed up and removed his memory of the situation you you've paid so much more attention to the the plot itself i i, I was stopped by so many superficial things miles including the the head of the, the the witch doctor in charge of the tribe. Okay, so we gotta we gotta talk about this this uh, this chief because played by so, Bruce Kimball, who's also the clown in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> well, he was a clown throughout the entire film. <laughs> it's uh, so we, we this 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 uh, yeah, yeah. South African tribal chief, which we already knew going in, this was going to be a racist endeavor. It's a white dude in in well dark. They- the, Dark makeup. The, the entire tribe, and this was shot in Southern California. The entire tribe is uh, white people in brown face. Correct. However, they are not, as you would think, racist depictions of what would commonly be seen as an archetypical African tribesman. Instead, they are racist depictions of First Nations people. Well, yeah, they definitely try, uh, try to make them. I think even look like South American kind of tribes people. I think I read something about the garb he was actually wearing was authentic. It was from a a South African or a, a South American tribe. But Congratulations. It's, like, it's the only authentic thing about this movie. Well, you know, you're on the wrong continent. You're correct in pointing that out, which is like, okay, well, that's interesting. But but it is supposed to be a lost civilization kind of thing where they're up on the plateau, like in um, like the, the only thing these guys didn't do as a racist depiction of First Nations people was say how like oh, <laughs> yeah. everything else. And then it's like, but we're all, yeah, we're on the wrong continent. So not only is it racist, but it's racist in the most backwards way because <laughs> it's not uh, even correct. Beyond that, he's got some of the worst line oh, readings yeah, in yeah. the film. On top of it being a, a, a racist uh, portrayal of, <laughs> of any person, the line readings are I, like your vice principal was given six lines in the high school production <laughs> of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe I, uh, um, and I, had I, to be like Aslan in one scene. <laughs> That's that's a very specific miles, but yes, I I tried to imitate some, some, him. Some of us lived uh, through that situation. <laughs> oh boy, I, I tried to imitate him in our our intro, and but it's very much like we summon you, mighty Korga. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I, one of the other things I want to mention is they, they reused footage from another film called Goliath and the Dragon. When we get to the cave, which is uh, Bronson Canyon, Bronson Cave. I yes. I, I don't think I really recognized it as such, but I, I've been I watching... didn't in this particular feature feature. But when you bring it up, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I know that location. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of original TOS series, and it was in like every season of or every Star Trek show in the 80s. And it's 90s it's as in Star well. Trek. It's certainly in a, a show that's near and dear in my heart. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yep. And most recently, uh, the 2020 film Palm Springs used it for their cave Mm. is a a very famous cave. And I don't know if they I mean, back in the day, the 50s and 60s, it was in use. I mean, I I had to imagine there'd be a crew there like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm sure there was. But but knowing that it's Andy Samberg approved is it puts it right up there. Very sad treasure that they find in this cave, this this gold ancient treasure. Yeah. And they they find some stock footage of a like a a dinosaur that ups the production value budget probably by thousands of dollars just right there. But yeah, we we haven't really talked about Gorga him or herself that much yet. There is a very good reason for that. The the monkey suit. I, I will say it has an expression. At the very least, it's got that over conga. Yeah, in my it's mind. one of constant surprise or constipation. <laughs> it is. And they the best thing about it is they depicted that in the poster for the the movie and for the art that we've we've had. Oh, created oh yeah. I mean, it 100 percent it, it looks like someone just like put some X laxants bananas. It is wide eyed and agog. You know, its mouth is is open a little bit. And it is very confusing as to, to why it looks like this the entire movie, but there's no animatronics or any kind of movement. No, it's, it's uh, some of the worst uh, screen work I've I've probably ever seen, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah, it definitely looks it looks spooked a lot. And the even the the gesture that it's making on the poster, it, it looks like it's taken aback. It's like, what is happening? I love the poster. I think the poster is hilarious the, the poster is objectively funny it might be the best I, part of the movie the poster. I, it, I'm, I'm not gonna be hunting it down it's not gonna go up on my wall <laughs> oh, there there are so many points in this movie where actors flub lines and just keep steamrolling through they they were probably oh, yeah, told, I, I don't like, think i don't think they had the 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 budget from multiple takes uh, yeah, i think the the director was like this is this is it. <laughs> we, yeah. If we get this done, we get to go to lunch. So just just keep going. Yeah. Just about everything falls flat for me in this film. I was I was making a list of the top 10 terrible things about this movie, and I got so bored going back and hunting for clips. I stopped about halfway through, as you can see in my notes here. Uh, uh Yeah, I, I didn't put that much thought. into. I mean, I just I think this is I mean, this is just something awful. To be to be perfectly honest, I mean, again, I'm, eight movie is going to be a tough sell for me anyway, and I, this is why uh, during the '90s we're going to have some interesting choices because I told Patrick if I have to watch this movie, you have to watch these. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're making the show longer because of how bad this was. <laughs> I put my foot down. Uh, so. Yeah. Patrick, I, I I don't think this is going to be a very long answer, but what was your favorite scene in this movie? I mean, there's there's 
next to nothing that Define I find favorite about this. I mean, <laughs> I, I think once they got up the plateau and found the the nest of like T-Rex eggs and started throwing them. And they're obviously they were super light. <laughs> like it bounced off like a, it was a inflatable balloon bounced off when he threw one of the eggs. I, I realized just how perfectly bad this movie was. The set dressings as well, when they're like, Oh, we're in a prehistoric locale right now. The only thing different about the, the area was it was dressed up with some silk flowers, these large silk flowers, like randomly um, all over the forest, like on tree trunks and, and hanging off of vines and things. And I I feel like if you'd give me 50 bucks and some time, I could have done something better. But yeah, no, there's there's nothing really that calls out to me as a a good part of this film miles <laughs> and and critics i think back then and today are probably in the same boat not not kind historically most review sites have it about 10 percent or one out of five stars though for some reason on letterboxd it's four out of ten it's like two stars <laughs> which is probably too high I, I feel like we can get onto our own rating and, and talk about what we oh, uh, oh, think oh, about yes. this one <laughs> we, we i think we differed in in our ratings but we're more alike than we are different <laughs> for the enjoyability of of this movie I, I didn't like hate watching it. it it did have some elements that were so bad that were good it just the, the entire film wasn't so bad it was good i was very bored for the, a lot of it so uh, i'm giving and, and this that, that's that's the main thing is yeah. i want it to not... be i want it to be a lot worse if that makes sense, I yeah, I think that, I think it's that that the, one of the most criminal things a, a, a piece of art can ever be is boring, especially and, when it's about a giant ape, right? Especially <laughs> when it's about a giant ape, and and that's the, the worst part is not just that it's bad, but it's it's a chore to watch. Like if something was like actually hilarious constantly, like I mean. I can certainly say that about some of the movies that we watched in the fifties that I, I talk about hating. At least there were <laughs> things that I can actively react to. Oh, yeah. Everything here is just kind of like, yeah, this is a thing that's happening in front of me, but I, I have no response to it. And then even, even the, what seems like a complete lack of effort to make this giant gorilla film, like interesting. Like if, if no one is going to care about presenting this creature in any way, other than just kind of like, silliness and and not silliness in a mirthful way silliness in a yeah we got 15 minutes for lunch let's just make this the shot work and we'll figure <laughs> it out in post it, it, if they if if no one can be bothered to care about the product when they're making it i can't be bothered to care when i'm watching it and Ooh. yeah so I, I i what's your rating for enjoyment then so i've struggled with how to rate this movie but i'm pretty comfortable putting giving it a one yeah, that, that's fine. I, I gave it a three. Three in our scale is regrettable. You and always just got to be a little bit more positive on that one, don't you? <laughs> I am regretting putting this on our movie list. But yeah, uh, for one on our scale for you, that is a failure. And I can totally understand that. I think it is. It fails to do what it is supposed to do, which is knock off 
much better movies. Well, that and like, I don't want to knock off, but like, if you make a movie that just kind of like, if I never want to see a movie again, like it has to completely fail in every possible way and repel me. Yeah. There are movies that I actively did not like that we've covered that like, if it were on TV, I could at least have a conversation with someone over it with some beers or something. And like, (laughs) make something of it i i really can't with this one there's like yeah there's things to poke up poke about but like there's there's so little artistic merit with this film that like i mean there's not even an msc3k about it that's how bad it is yeah there are a lot of movies i felt that way about with msc3k it's like this is just so bad like even riffing on it would not make it a lot of a lot Mm -hmm. more fun uh the the technical aspects in these movies that is the one thing I would think would be funny if you were to riff on it. I mean, some sure. of some of the effects are beyond laughable, but some so, so much of this movie is just straight offensive. <laughs> the brown face and the headhunters and things like that included. Tiered racism. Yeah. The the monkey suit itself pretty darn bad. <laughs> oh, uh, it's it's terrible. And I mean, I love a guy in a suit and I understand that. But like, listen. Even though the suit, in some ways, it might be objectively better in certain aspects than King Kong versus Godzilla, mm-hmm. effort went into that performance. No <laughs> effort went into this performance. It's so funny because, I mean, the director is in the suit, and you have to imagine this is your the, this the is reason your you made this is your this baby. is the reason you made this film. There, you think there would be some more, at least, effort on that that aspect of it but anyway uh, there's so much about the technical qualities from script to direction that is offensive to my eyes so i gave it a one out of ten for that a a one on our scale is offensive a zero is gouge my eyes out which i I couldn't give it that yeah i i feel like a movie just has to i I don't i don't know I, i i can't see myself giving a zero i mean this is certainly close i'm giving it a one as well um (laughs) But I, f- I feel like a, a zero is not something that's likely going to happen. What, what What's your you're giving it a one as well for the, the technical? Yes, 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 yes. We need to we need to wrap this episode up. I'm giving it a two out of ten for its artistic merit where it what it adds to the kaiju oeuvre, which so is, which is shameful on our scale. I, <laughs> amusingly, I'm giving this a four. Oh, goodness uh, gracious. The highest score of the episode. Soulless is what four out of ten is. Well, so it is, is certainly that, but for yeah. its cultural impact, it does have a reputation as a bad film. And while that isn't necessarily a positive addition to pop culture, it's still an addition nonetheless. It does have this massive reputation of being a terrible movie, but it's not in a so bad it's go way. It's also not one that's talked about very often. So it did keep that score low, but this does have a reputation. There's a reason we watched this movie to begin with. And so it does, it does have a little bit of that. I'm mean, again, this four is not a good score. So no one, no one think I'm giving this movie any favors, <laughs> but yeah. So that I think brings it, it, it lifts up my total score. I think to a two now. Oh, we, we are both hard twos for the mighty Gorga, which means our podcast averages, of course, a two out of 10. And this is now officially our lowest rated film of the podcast. Miles, I need to know. Is it my lowest rated? The, I believe so. I believe the 
you have given a two before in the giant claw, and I've only given a three out in Deadly Mantis and the beginning of the the end. Uh, but yeah, this is this is the time which I is so funny because I, <laughs> I gave the beginning of an end with a much higher score than you did. Well, yeah, but that that was my lowest rate, and yours lowest was the giant claw. Would you rather rewatch the giant claw or this film? Giant claw, yeah. Me too. I would rather watch the beginning of the end, I think. And I think those movies are worse at being bad or, or better at being bad. <laughs> They're worse at being good and at least have, like you said, some things to talk about. Well, in- that and both Giant Claw, like I've took like decent notes on. And I mean, and don't get me wrong. I, I hated Giant Claw. Beginning of the end, I gave a pretty kind score. I think I gave that one a total of a five. Yeah. But, but- I... I think both those movies came out to about a four for our podcast, which is, you know, pretty, pretty bad still. But. It's still pretty bad. But I mean, those movies are much more watchable. They're much more at least complete thoughts there. There are in some in their own ways, legitimate attempts. They're mm-hmm. certainly more interesting than this just egregious pulp Kong knockoff. Is there going to be a worse movie than this do you think a worse kaiju film or is this the bottom of the barrel did we find it it's too soon to say <laughs> we it have is. a lot we have a lot of monkey films to do well and we've got some stinkers ahead that i know i've seen i can um, uh, i can guarantee you at the very least this is the worst of the 1960s uh we're almost done this is oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's certainly the worst of the nine. decade for sure <laughs> um you know there there is such a I have no doubt in my mind that humanity can stoop lower than this film. <laughs> this is definitely an anomaly. The The other lowest score we've had in the entire decade, the, the lowest one besides this, have been fives. We've had no threes or fours. So this is... Yeah, that's because we stayed out of, Amer- of America for the most part. And when we come back, look what happens. This is technically our only American-only film in the 1960s. My point well. stands. So <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> right. That's that's going to do it for us. Uh, check out our review on Letterboxd. Hopefully we're bringing this the Letterboxd score down with our two. Follow us on Twitter at Kaiju versus History. You can tweet us there and we'll we'll read them on air or email us at Kaiju versus History at Gmail dot com. What is happening oh, next boy. week? To, pl- to cleanse us, Miles. Oh, so we're going to catch all of you fine folks. And thank you for listening. And thank you, Patrick, for no. joining me. But next week, we fall back into the loving, caring, and skilled hands of the Japanese master monster movie maker self, the one and only Ashiro Honda. Oh, thank goodness. That's right. Tune in next week for History versus Latitude Zero. Bum, 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 bum.